Welcome to this episode of Clarity Generates Confidence. As you know, we're in season four and the topic is now Momentum Matters as we're coming out of the pandemic in a, in a strange kind of way for all of us. Attitudes have not returned to normal. And I'm really delighted to have with me John Fullwider, who is the business coach at Gear 80. I've only known John a short time, but really appreciated his perspective on, on life and people. Quite a character, I will say, from time to time that we've had to meet. But I really appreciate his views, and hopefully that you'll get you'll take something away from this that'll be helpful for you as you think about your future. So, John, welcome for joining us today. Hey, it's a great honor to be here, Gary. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, well, you know, John, it's you know, your business coach, and I'll talk a bit about that a little later. But I, I really have found that in over the years that I've had the opportunity to be a coach to really be it's really been very rewarding. Have you found the same thing for you in, in the time that you've been a coach? Oh, tremendously rewarding, Gary. And I've had, you know, some real high moments just, you know, in the last 90 days or so where, you know, a client of mine was recording a testimonial video for me, talking about the additional time that he's gained back with his family, with his kids and busy guy and everything. So he was doing the video from his truck with his wife there in the truck with him. So, you know, I was getting that, I was getting that confirmation, you know, from his, from his wife that, you know, our, our work together on his business and freeing him up had, had changed his life and had changed her life. And that's tremendously fulfilling when people get time back with their families. You know, I, I will say it. I, I love hearing that. And because it's a, people have often asked about the legacy. I don't really talk about that much because I don't think about that sort of thing very often. But uh, it, to me, legacy was never about the money. It was never about the other things you might accumulate, but it's what we could do. It's what we could, could help and give back to other people. And I, I, I just from what you said, those are things that you take with you all the time. And people always remember that whether they continue to work with you or not. And that's just, as I say, got to be just a great satisfaction for you. So it really is. Another story was just a, another hard charging business owner client of mine said, it was my daughter's take your dad to work day type of thing at school. And, you know, she said, Hey, this is my dad. And he's at XYZ company all the time. And I never see him. Ooh. Said that in front of, <laughs> you know, in front of the class and everything. And we we worked on freeing him up as well, right? So that he is able to see his daughter much more regularly, get home in time for dinner. And, you know, both of these people are ones who uh, not only have they been freed up to spend time with their family, but they've also been freed up to start the next thing because, you know, to, to use a strategic coach term, they've got like such a self-managing business, such a self-managing company, Right that they're then able to go and create more opportunities for themselves and others by starting either starting a new business in some cases or, you know, in growing by acquisition in another case. You know, John, that's, that's so valuable and useful, but how do you do that? How do you take it? Cause that's, that's not the norm. You know, the, in, the point about an entrepreneur, I'll be the first one into work. I call it the entrepreneurs or I'll be the first one into the work. I'll be the last one to go and You know, you can delegate to me and I'll make sure everything gets done. And so as a result, I think even in one of your notes that you end up doing the work of everybody. So how do you, how do you get people who are in that kind of hard driving, hard charging side into a place where they can still feel comfortable while still growing and, and producing and doing something else possibly? Well, I think they've got to want it first. You know, the owner needs to desire that freedom. And heck, I've I've worked with a number of people who haven't wanted that. They wanted to be the center of the storm. They wanted to do all the things. I remember 
talking with the founder and owner of, you know, an IT outsource services firm and everything. And man, he just loved having the, having the phone, right. And taking those, you know, 3am on the weekend calls and everything. He just didn't want to not be at the center of the whirlwind. And so first step is you got to want it. Second step is you got to realize that it's fairly unlikely you're going to be able to pull it off on your own. And so then third step is to go seek help and accept it. You know, it sounds, it, it, and let me use, I'll put it in quotation, it sounds a little bit like an addiction is that, you know, we get addicted to the, the energy, if you want to call it, or the, or the, the attention and the thriving. Do you, do you see that? Cause you talked about people have to want it and people have to want to get cured or they have to go and get help and, and this is even a goal. So, I don't know if that, I don't want to use the word in a negative sense, but I know that word does come bring that kind of connotation, but. Yeah. I mean, I think it's possible. It's hard for me to relate to that concept myself because I kind of, you know, I got off the, the treadmill quite a long time ago when I went into business for myself and I've been doing intentional lifestyle design since, you know, Back in 2006, I was, I was actually just reflecting, was it last night or the day before that back in high school, when I was doing creative writing, I had written a story about myself that kind of forecasted me blowing up my marriage as a result of being an overworker and everything and going after money and such. And it was so funny. I was recalling the details of the story, you know, in the story I'm driving what at the time I thought was just the coolest, highest end car possible. It was like a, a forest green with gold trim Jeep Grand Cherokee, which, you know, <laughs> is, is not yeah. the fanciest car possible. It was the fanciest car possible to me. And, you know, in the, in the story, I was driving back to a small town that was a part of my adolescence and everything to, to kind of restart the lot, restart my life after I had blown up my marriage. And I mean, I wrote this in high school well before wow. I was married. So I think I kind of saw in myself, I saw that addictive tendency coming and so I just designed around it before it had a chance to be a real problem. Yeah, you know, that that takes an incredible amount of self-awareness, John. And it sounds like you had that. I don't know if you ever shared that story with your wife before you got married, but <laughs> or, or you kept that till later on in time, but <laughs> not something you need to answer. Anyway, it's interesting when you said that because I was reflecting back on on my life a little bit as you were talking. And I was always considered a an underachiever and by my, by my teachers and others. And cause I, I only, I, I kind of felt school wasn't my, my thing, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was sort of a means to an end. I had, you know, there's, you know, you got to go through life and I, I'll call it, you got to get the, you got to check the boxes off and that sort of thing. And so my father had told me as I was finishing up high school, he said, ah, go get an engineering degree and go get an MBA. Okay. There's two boxes I got to go check off. So I went and did that one right after the other. But as I was going through school, I only worked hard enough to get the marks I needed to get to the next level. What was the level I needed to get to? Not, not the top level, not the top guy all the time. I don't know why. It just never motivated me. And I went, well, you can always do better than that. And I go, well, yeah, I can, but I can also stop and have a life. <laughs> I don't have to continue to do everything. And I, I continued that. I continued that right through my my university career, and I finally it didn't really 
hit me actually until I started working. In fact, when I started working for people, when I got into sales, got into DuPont, got into sales. And that was really the, the time when I kind of gravitated. I really liked doing that. I really liked being around the people as opposed to the technical things, which I'd done for a long time. But so I was just kind of emphasizing your thoughts. We, we think about these things sometime when we're quite a bit younger and don't realize how much they tell the story of what we might do later on in life. So it sounds like you're a life is for the living type of person, which is my attitude as well. Yeah, I, you know, when you talked about that, I, I didn't write the story that could blow up the marriage, but I, I could see that as I started to work that I could always work, I could always do something I always, it was always going to be there. And when you got into your own business, which I did more than 30 years ago, there is no end to it. You are the, you are that person. And so having to go through the, I mean, finding strategic coach is one of the best things for me because it did teach me just as you were talking about to, to start to put boundaries and start to put support structure in place because otherwise I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really get to know my kids. And I'm very fortunate today that one of them still works with me. And the other one I talk to every day. In fact, my, my, my daughter does our, our training. She has her own company and I did my training with her this morning at seven o'clock. So it's great that we still have that kind of communication. And it's because one, I give a lot of credit to my wife. She was around when I wasn't, but also we just made a point of being there and that, that, and had to put work aside some of the times. Could I have done more? Maybe, but that was not as important. And maybe that's always been the way with me, John. So. Yep. Me as well. So I want to ask you a question. Um, what gear 80, what is, how did you come up with the name? How'd you get the gear uh, 80? I know it's a really memorable. So I, that's why yeah, I sure. asked that question. So go ahead. Oh yeah. Thanks. Thanks. So the real short version is, you know, I'm going to put your business in the 80th gear and we're going to go really fast, really far and everything, but it's like the pinnacle model that I use of people, purpose, playbooks, performance, lead to profit. You know, it looks like four spokes or four sections of a wheel. You know, I'm a I'm an avid bicyclist, kind of looks like a, a bicycle wheel. I say when I'm not hungry, it looks like, you know, a nice sliced pie when I am hungry and everything. So just that image, right? And then, you know, honestly, another reason, Gary, is when I came up with the the business name, I was I was working in a, a co-working space in the heart of Lincoln, Nebraska's startup community. And, you know, everybody there, all the founders are walking around with their, you know, North Face vests and everything with their with their cool little very spare, you know, Helvetica logo right over their left breast and everything. And I was like, you know, I want that too. But at the time, my my business was named John Fullwider Coaching Speaking Consulting. And, you know, that just doesn't look really good on a, on a vest. So I wanted something a little shorter as well. Also, Gary, at that time, I was thinking of pursuing a firm model, you know, that would have, you know, other coaches working under me. Ultimately, didn't choose to go that route, but I was building the flexibility and with the name back then. So it wasn't tied directly to me. Yeah, well, that that entirely makes sense. I, the other thing I like is that it, it suits you, by the way. From what I know, it just suits you to, because it's 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 kind of it, it's it's a little bit it's classic, but it's also different, and it also really you know people have to ask the question, what is it about? And to me, that's what a good name does for people. Gets you to yeah, think thanks. About that. Yeah. yeah, so it puts it together. And you know, the background, the way everything comes together, sometimes doesn't have the greatest cachet to things, but when the name finally gets out, it all means something. So that's yeah, cool. sure, yeah. So you've been involved in coach and that's where I met you, but Kathy Davis, who I work with at coach has, has always, she mentioned this to me back in August time, a couple months ago, she said the re-entry is weird. And what she was referring to was, and, and she isn't the only one I was at, a, I go to a Pilates studio and we were 
took the summer off and went back and I was asking Barb and Amelia, mother, daughter, how it was. And she said, she used the same word weird just a, just a week ago. The people coming back, coming out now compared to, you know, 20, early 2020, late 2019, it's different. Are you seeing that? Have you seen that with your clients? And is, is that, is there, is that just something where just is not so normal, but just unusual? Yeah, I don't know, Gary, you know, I, I read the, read the question in advance. So I've had some time to deliberate about it. My, my mind goes into a different direction. I'm, I'm grateful for the freedom that the pandemic has brought to me and to my clients and to people who work for my clients' businesses. And before I go more into why I'm grateful for the pandemic, let me just say that I, whenever I share this, I'm, I'm always really cautious to express to people that I didn't lose any family members or close friends to the pandemic. I know that a lot of people did. I know that people lost businesses, lost livelihoods to the pandemic. And so I don't want to come off as flip in talking about the benefits that I've seen out of the pandemic. But, but let's just talk about freedom for a second. You know, both you and I follow Dan Sullivan and strategic coach, freedom of time, money, purpose, relationship, right? Freedom of time, you know, one, one element of time that's important to me that Dan left out of the four-part model is freedom of location, right? And so, you know, you and I, Gary, as owners of our own business, we have had practically unlimited freedom of time, relationship, and location, right? Just because we're the boss, you know, we can do what we want. And the vast majority of my close friends are not entrepreneurs. You know, they, they work in companies and so forth. And they don't have that freedom that I enjoy, or at least they didn't. And now they do, right, with all the work from home flexibility and beyond just the work from home flexibility, right, you know, just not having to go to as many off-site meetings, not even go as many on-site meetings, you know, you can participate via Zoom from the car if you're, you know, taking your kid to an appointment, right, you got your, you got your kid home from childcare. I, I just love all of that freedom, so... So thinking about re-entry as weird is hard for me. I've, I've thought about it as, man, I'm, I'm just enjoying the freedom. And then I'll wrap this up by just saying, you know, the, the freedom of fully remote kind of quarterly business planning sessions, as well as hybrid sessions is fantastic for my second generation businesses where mom or dad, right, are you know, using my help to transition ownership and management to the next generation. And, you know, mom and dad already had like a Florida home or an Arizona home. We meet every 90 days for quarterly planning. And so, you know, dad, the owner, he doesn't have to come back to Nebraska, right? Or he doesn't have to adjust the quarterly planning schedule to combat him. He can just participate from Florida, with one rule, this is a hard and fast rule, Bob, the owner, you know, you got to turn your camera on, right? You got to have it looking over your shoulder at the beach, right? <laughs> and you got to, you, you know, you, in a in a mopey voice, you got to say, oh, man, it, ideally, in, when it's February in Nebraska, I say, oh, man, it's so hot here. 
and I'm getting sand in my keyboard. <laughs> and then the rest of us, you know, we'll tease you mercilessly for about, you know, 90 seconds and then we'll move on about our day. So that's um, how that's how I've processed the pandemic. It's been a it's been a freedom multiplier. Um, well, from my perspective, you know, you're absolutely right in that side. And I, 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 I didn't. It's not really a joke because I had to learn how to be home and and not go to work because I was always traveling. And it used to be such that I would sort of joke. And a number of years ago, I'd joke and say, if I was more than five days in one place, I was on holidays. So it it it. It found I found that I've come I've come to adjust to that. In fact, this is actually some of the I agree with you, it's some of the creative time. But you know, the difference is for you and I who because we and it was important that that we just when we talked at the beginning of this, we talked about how we were when we were younger and how the rules that we set for ourselves and the and the guidelines that we have so we didn't allow the our behavior to be totally consuming on us or addictive or however we put those expressions. So when we came to this period of time. We knew how to adjust, right? I'm going to suggest we knew how to adjust to it because we were used to having setting those boundaries. And even though the, the outside guidelines had changed, okay, we were used to having that freedom, as you say. So you were dealt with it because even in freedom, you want to put some boundaries up. Well, you were already used to doing that. I'd yes. say I was already used to doing that. But our friends and those who didn't have that weren't now used to it. So if they didn't have to go to the office every day, for some people, that'd be a real challenge because there was a routine, there were boundaries, there were things that were put together. And, and so I'd say in that perspective, that's what we're finding as more of a challenge, even in my own team of people, is that we had to go, we have to go and recreate a structure when there wasn't one. No problem for you. No problem for you because you can do that. You've, you described it. I understand it. I kept routines pretty much the same. Things stayed long, never really felt it, but I could feel it with a lot of other people. And so that was, that's sort of what I was kind of thinking about. And, I don't, and other entrepreneurs who you could work with might be in the same position as you because they understand how to set the boundaries, how to, how to deal with the freedom that if you haven't had to deal with it and your life is all set, structured for you, I think it's difficult. I think it's difficult for people to adjust to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, I, I think about going a couple of threads back in our conversation, like, is an entrepreneur ready to be freed up from his business? They're, you know, on the, on the path toward building the accountability chart, building the structure beneath you that enables you to hand over day-to-day -day management of the company to someone other than you. There is a, a transitionary period that's that's weird for them where people feel like they're being put out to pasture. They think, oh man, you're you know, you're taking away all my jobs, you're taking away all my meaning. What do I do around here? And you know, what they haven't yet come to internalize is that the the visionary founding entrepreneur's highest best use is to spend as much time out of the office as possible going after the next, next, next opportunity while the team is in the office executing with excellence on the current opportunity. Like everybody's stock is gonna rise to the extent that the visionary is out going after the next, next, next thing, whether that be 
expansion by acquisition. It can be as simple as just being more active in the talent marketplace and going after that A player talent that needs to be wooed. You know, one of my clients, a fast growing software firm, it took him four years to recruit his second in command. I mean, you need to be, you need to be working it, right? So if speaking of that, how many of your, are many of your clients working fully remotely? Has that, has, if they all gone back to the office work when they could, when the lockdowns were over, have they, what's happened with your, in your client base there? Well, you know, Gary, I have, I have a few areas of industry concentration where I've had, you know, a number of clients within that industry within the software industry. Of course, it's <clears throat> fairly common to be fully remote or hybrid, not come together very often. You know, one of my teams has, you know, a, a staff here stateside and then some over in Eastern Europe, right? I've worked with clients that near shored, right? Where they've got, uh, you know, the, uh, the office team and the Great Plains part of the United States and then some, some developers down in Costa Rica and everything. So, so I've been working with hybrid and remote teams for a long time, but with, you know, my other areas of concentration in manufacturing, roofing, and, you know, a general contractor construction and other sort of skilled trades, most of those are are in-person type of work in no small part because of the the nature of the work. You know, you can't, you can't drive a roofing nail from <laughs> no. uh, a Zoom call no. yet. Yet. Yeah. We haven't got the robots to do that. So what's the difference? What, you know, when working with both of those, what, what are the, are there different challenges that you have between those kind of teams or are they fairly similar from your perspective? If different challenges in what regard? Gary? In terms of, and in, in terms of motivating them, that getting the teams working together, you talked about accountability and that's what mm -hmm. I was thinking mostly of. Yeah. I mean, gosh, that that's highly dependent upon the team. I've got, you know, I've got teams where, you know, the entire team is just whip smart, super self-motivated, self-managed, right? From the CEO all the way down, fantastic talent. And then, you know, I've had some teams where nobody, including the owner, was very motivated to make a change. You know, they were just used to one to 2% growth per year and they were just fine with that. And that's, you know, that's not really a good fit for the kind of work I do. I mean, I'm looking for a talented, ambitious, already successful business owner who is absolutely convinced there's a next level for themselves and their business and, and they want help, right? So those type of people, at least the entrepreneur who fits that characterization comes batteries installed his team her team doesn't always come batteries installed and sometimes you know we can spend two years firing five people on the team before we're able to get our heads above water and start growing yeah well you know you, you described something that that i learned a long time ago while i was in sales is that when i walked into somebody's office i could pretty well tell how how the owner felt about things or the guy running it in within a few minutes of being there, just how everything was working. And I would probably hazard a guess that those entrepreneurs that are highly motivated and, and, you know, self-driven and 
also can find the attract the kind of people that are similar to them, as opposed to those who might not have the same goals and ambitions. Not, I, I mean, that would be the ideal. It's, it's been a challenge for me. It's been a challenge for them. It's, you know, Gary, people like people like you and me who are highly self-motivated, lifelong learners, like we have a grow or die mentality. And we, I, we just, we just can't imagine not investing in ourselves, not having this constant burning fire to grow. I mean, that's the case with the majority of business owners I've worked with. They also have that internal fire. They don't always have a ton of luck initially surrounding themselves with similar people. And that is just really hard. It's, it's hard on them. And frankly, it's, it's, it's hard on me, right? When, you know, two of you in the room, the business owner and the, and the coach, right, are raring to go like rah, rah, rah. And the rest of the team is like, eh, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. So John, what, so sort of as we come into the end of this half hour, I really appreciated your time. What advice would you give the business owners that are stuck in their day-to-day business? That's one thing you've talked off from the start and felt about giving them freedom. What do you, what, what advice is people who are listening? What can they do? What can they think about to yeah, get themselves yeah. from being stuck? Oh, well, I, you know, I'd, I'd advise, I mean, this is going to sound self-serving, but reach out to, reach out to fellow business owners, you know, who have, gotten somewhere you want to go, ask them how they did it, ask them what kind of help that they got. There's probably a business coach in there somewhere, right? And then, you know, a search term, if a business owner out there isn't familiar with it, is a business operating system, right? You're going you're gonna to want to find some business operating system like, like Pinnacle, like Scaling Up, like 4DX, like Traction or something, because systemizing your business using proven tools and principles to get everything running smoothly is it's it's like the it's like the process way of removing the dependence on you and then removing the dependence on you is what is going to give you the freedom to do as much or as little in your business as you want to I'm a big proponent of the business operating system described in the book Pinnacle by Steve Prada and Greg Cleary, and there are others. Last thing I would say is just every business owner needs about probably four things to succeed that may seem counterintuitive. One, you need an operating system. I recommend Pinnacle. There are others. Two, you need a peer group because there's no substituting for the comradeship of people who have been there and thrown up that when it's Thursday night and they can't make payroll Friday morning, right? You you need a coach, right? Someone to help you with the business side of implementing your business operating system. And then finally, you need to be in therapy, right? <laughs> if you're if you're Sorry. a business owner and you're not in therapy, man, you're you're operating with half your brain tied behind your back, and that's not good for anybody. 
John, I, I, I always love the way you put things. You're quite a character with that, but also, also, also so true. And, you know, that's what strategic coach has functioned for me for the last 30 years and, and had the community and, and had been my therapy. And so I've, I've really appreciated that. So John, this has been great. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better and know about your philosophy. And I certainly entirely agree with you having been a coach myself and having been coached for a long time, that there's no substitute for having someone else giving you a perspective. And for me, one of the most rewarding things that I've done in my life. And so I appreciate you and, and look forward to seeing you the next time that we, we get together in a workshop. So thank you, John. Thanks for inviting me, Gary. Okay. And to all of you out there, please, until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.